1: Pour one more beer for me Exile means quality So savagely Best beer in all the land Brewed with a loving hand From bottle, cake, or can Exile Brewing E-X-I-L-E For me E-X-I-L-E Let's drink Crack open a Ruthie today Enjoy your exile to the Bigger Ten Podcast. I am John Miller along with Steve Dace. We are your hosts. And, Steve, this is the uh, the debut of this podcast, and you and I have been talking Big Ten athletics for, gosh, as long as we've known each other, dating back to 2000, 2001, when you had me on your radio show in Des Moines, Iowa, when I was the publisher then of SuperHawkeye.com, one of the original Rivals.com publishers, and you were doing work for the jock in Des Moines, and uh, we talk a lot of Hawkeyes because that was my area of expertise. and But you uh, were a Michigan fan, still are a Michigan fan, and those conversations would invariably delve and turn to Big Ten. And we've certainly talked Big Ten on the Hawkeye podcast through the years, but just feel like it's a good time to, um, you know, maybe maybe focus a little more Big Ten each week and, and have it be more a regular occurring theme.
0: I'm excited about this, and I, I think with uh, where the league is at right now, uh, the investment it's made in football, Uh, I think it's a little bit of a down year in basketball, but the last several years have been reminiscent of uh, the Big Ten uh, basketball wars that we became accustomed to in the mid to late 80s and going into the early 90s that we grew up with. with. So uh, when you look at the league's financial prowess and the impact that Big Ten Network has had, it's time. You know, there's other people that are doing some Big Ten podcasting, but when you look at... When you when you look at the uh, the variety of of material that is available to you, from a from a pro SEC perspective, and I love the SEC, I love watching it. I uh, think it's it's a tremendous brand of football, and now their basketball uh, conference they're having kind of a renaissance this year. Um, but as, even though I, because I'm a college sports fan, I love watching it. The the Russia Today level of over the top shilling masquerading as media for this league. Uh it's just and neither one of us are shills, but there needs to be, you know, we got so many fans here in this part of the country. Every year our teams are uh, you know, the have the highest ranked games in collegiate sports. We need to have some more opinion uh making and 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 anal- analytical podcasts for the Big Ten like the SEC has a a cornucopia of and so this is sort of our attempt to uh, contribute to that effort.
1: And we will see how we fare and you're right neither of us is going to shill. I certainly have uh, an SEC uh, an anti-SEC bias maybe a little more than you well probably more than you do I mean you enjoy and appreciate watching the SEC and and again their their brand of football it is entertaining I'm I'm not going to say that I avoid it but like you I get sick and tired of the Pravda level uh, yep. of sycophant uh, nature that is SC media SEC media and uh, yeah so let's see what becomes of this. And a good place to start with this podcast and this topic for this podcast is what the Big Ten was just able to accomplish in the bowl season. They started out a perfect 7-0, and and all that was left was for Michigan to hold on to a 16-3 to lead. They couldn't do it against South Carolina, and they lost that. That was the Big Ten's lone blemish in the bowl season. And you and I have talked about this for years do you make much of what we saw from the Big Ten 7-1 bull record? Is that a reason to beat collective Big Ten chests, or is it not, or is it somewhere in between?
0: I think I think it's yes and no to both. I mean, I, I don't think it, it should be your bull record. And I want to be consistent here because in, in a lot of years of the Big Ten's bull record's not been great. I've had the same take. I don't think your bowl record should be the the end-all, be-all to the strength of your conference, particularly in the case of the Big Ten, because unless you get sentenced to Detroit – you don't get to play all these games in your own backyard.
1: Well, now in, SEC, in you know, sentence to New York, but go ahead.
0: Or New York, for that matter. That's because that's apparently our market now. Uh, but unless you're going, fine, I'll give you that one. Unless you're going to Yankee Stadium or Ford Field. <laughs> you're, not, you're, not, you're not playing a, a bowl game in your backyard like teams in the ACC, SEC, and the Pac-12 get to. So right away, it, it's not exactly the same thing. I do think it should be a determining factor mainly because we don't get enough of these cross conference matchups and clashes like we do in in college basketball. We don't we don't get enough of them in football, so I, sh- I think it should be a factor. Also it should be a factor, hey, how many guys get drafted in the NFL, you know, things of that nature. But here's what really bothered me about this is you mentioned when Michigan had the 19-3 lead against South Carolina. And and they come back from a commercial break and ESPN's crew said, this is going to be their moment, they're going to tell you. When it looked at that point, like the Big Ten was going to go 8-0 in bowl games, which no league had ever done that. No, no league had ever had uh, a sweep like that. The best the Big Ten had ever done, they went 5-0 and in 98. Uh, but they only had five teams at bowl games that year. So at that point, with Michigan up 19-3 to and the Big Ten already up 7-0, and they decide the ESPN crew, who by the way, their fin- chief financial partner. They are a financial partner of the Big Ten, but their prom- most prominent financial alliance in collegiate sports is with whom, John?
1: Yeah, with the SEC. They're a broadcast partner of the Big Ten. They're an equity shareholder partner with the SEC.
0: Exactly, and this is where um, the, the ESPN crew decides they want they're going to they're gonna spend five minutes right then and there explaining to us why bowl games don't really tell us who the best conference is. Now, I might even agree with that take, but here's why I'm calling horse bleep. I'm 44. What are you, 47 now? 46?
1: 46, thanks.
0: All our lives would have be heard. All of our lives, the narrative was, when the Big Ten couldn't win a Rose Bowl, when the Big Ten sucks in bowl games, it means the league is slow, plodding, it's not that great. Now, all of a sudden, the league is 7-0, and and its eighth and final team is up 19-3, to and now those exact same people want to tell us it's not that big a deal? No way. And see, that's the stuff I, I predict that when the final ratings come out from Monday's championship game, it'll be the lowest since at least the LSU-Alabama rematch, which I think was the second or third uh, lowest-rated BCS title game. And I, I think what's happened here, you know, when – when two teams from the same conference play in the NCAA tournament, I mean, one of the greatest NCAA finals of all time we can ever remember was what? Villanova Georgetown. How about another great game? St.
1: John's was also in that final four.
0: St. John's was in that, was 85. How about 88? Kansas and Oklahoma, two teams from the Big Eight. Mm-hmm. Right? So, th- what, what's happened here, though, is the SEC's crowing. And the media's slobbering Russia Today, uh, propagandist coverage of the league, is creating an unnecessary backlash. Right. And I think you're going to see a, a, a revolt of a large segment of our uh, fan base when the final ratings for Monday's game come out. I just think people have just. What I've listened to, listening to, because you know I listen to a lot of podcasts and a lot of college sports nation on Sirius XM caller after caller after caller if they live anywhere outside the mason dixon line it's open revolt and, and i think some of it's alabama fatigue but i think a lot of it is when you, when you lose a bowl game to mississippi state and their fans chant sec sec when you lose an sec tournament or an N C tournament game to vanderbilt and their fans chant sec 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 i think that they have become victims of their own promoted tribalism and I, I just think you know I, I'm not sure if there's anything that the other Power Four conferences agree on except this Yeah, They're just freaking sick of this act, sick of it
1: Tribal tribalism is a much better way to describe it um, than inbred mouth breathers so let's go with yours, <laughs> I like that much better So that that'll be and we're off.
0: Welcome to the pilot. You officially now that officially launches the pilot episode. What what, what did I do? This is official.
1: I I think yours is better. I mean, it's nicer. So we'll go with that one. Um, Especially because before Michigan and South Carolina even played, um, you know, Paul Putin or 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 saying, you know, please South Carolina beat Michigan so we can shut these Big Ten people up. Dude is, you know, the mouth of the South. He is mm-hmm. the mouthpiece of the SEC. And by the way, this is all fine, well, and good. It is still capitalism, and they can put on who they want, and they can say what they want, thankfully. But it doesn't mean people will buy it, because people get to watch and listen. To what they want. So with their choices come repercussions. Similar to ESPN's, you know, national uh with the you know big baller brand and the, the, mm-hmm. the balls. I, I unfollowed several yep. ESPN personalities this past week on Twitter because they were over in Lithuania covering the the two younger ball brothers playing pro ball. I, I want nothing to do with it. I don't want to hear Agreed. it anymore. I don't yep. want it anymore. They can do what they want, but there are our consequences to it. And guess what I'm not watching? I'm not going to watch Alabama versus Georgia. I'll have other things to do better with my time. Oh, what's that, John? Oh, there's this really cool game on Xbox that I play right now called Player Underground's Battlegrounds. First-person shooter sounds a lot better to me than wasting my time watching an SEC football game as the last game of the year and to hear them slobber over it. I'm not interested. I don't care. I don't want it. But I also am I'm sick and tired of this level of of inbred worship I don't like it and you know a few years ago I started the hashtag SEC myth I just it just it's just permeated them so much and it's a part of one of the reasons why I don't really watch and follow ESPN all that much anymore
0: I don't blame you I think they've done this largely to themselves they've created their own uh their their own backlash and this goes back to something. You know, that you and I were talking about when when we were just getting set to launch the second BCS contract that eventually became the college football playoff. And you'll remember I, I broached this question, is it healthy to have the primary distribution platform for your championships also be the primary information vehicle for the sport itself? And that's that's ESPN having it all in house. It's monopolistic
1: in-house. and it's not healthy.
0: Yeah. And I don't I don't think it's good. I don't think it's healthy at all. I don't. And you know, you and I both thought that Alabama was a better team to put in than Ohio State when, when we talked about this a couple of weeks no, no ago. No question about it. But the level of shilling for Alabama that went on on ESPN. Uh, and that include that's a channel, by the way. Who two of its most prominent um, analysts are Ohio State Buckeyes and Joey Galloway and Kirk Herbstreit, but the level of shilling that went on, uh, you know, for Alabama was beyond preposterous. And you know, the SEC championship game when Georgia had that game out of reach, I mean, CBS spent the last ten minutes of, of that game's you know of, of, of game time. With Gary Danielson essentially using it as an infomercial oh, to put Alabama to put Alabama in the SEC championship, and I, I think that's the or I'm sorry in the uh, that's a Freudian slip in the college football playoffs. I think I think and I think that's where the league is creating now uh, an unnecessary backlash against itself. With it's one thing to be great, and it is the league has been great for the better part of you know the last decade and a half. But it's another thing uh, to essentially rub people's noses in it at the exact same time. And I I I am afraid that if they continue to go down this road, they might NASCAR college football. And that is largely regionalize it. Um, and I don't think that's good for anybody. That's why I don't think there was a conspiracy in the college football playoff committee to put another SEC team in because they're they're going to lose money from this proposition. I have little doubt, like I said earlier, the the third second or third lowest watched BCS title game was the Alabama LSU rematch in 2011. I, I think people are beyond tired of it, beyond sick of it. Uh and, uh, and I and I think they're creating a backlash against their own product and I think you know one of the number one rules of business man, don't crap where you live, and they're kind of doing that right now.
1: Yeah. They are, and it's been a while. And yes, you know, the Big Ten does have its own network, but the Big Ten also doesn't have the is isn't the national distribution mouthpiece the worldwide leader. And ESPN, publicly traded company, free to do what they want. But again, they will be free to deal with the consequences of it uh, in this day and age. And, and, you well, know, I
0: mean, and look at look at who the Big Ten has as its analysts. Alright, so Mike DeCourse, he's a great writer. He's not, but, but he's not an advocate. He's not gonna do what Paul Feinbaum does. And here's why, I watch, I've watched a lot of Feinbaum in the last couple of years. Here's why he's really good, and here's why he has a lot of clout. Because he will shill for the SEC, but if you get in the way, if you're in a, if you're, if you're a coach in the SEC or an administrator, and you get in the way, uh, or he perceives that you're in the way of, of the SEC's, um, birthright greatness, he will destroy you. If you're Butch Jones, he will crush you. Crush you. If, 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 you know, um. How do
1: you handle Bielema?
0: Crushed him. Gotta go. He's fired. Terrible. Plus, it was easy to go after Bielema because in Feinbond's mind, he's a, he's a he's big guy. He's a big team
1: guy. guy, sure. Yeah, he's got a yeah. tiger hawk on his ankle.
0: And I, I do think that's, that's, the Big Ten could use a fine bomb. I just don't believe as it's currently constructed De- Delaney would ever allow it because for someone to be to be good, if fine, if Feinbaum just sit there and told you the SEC was great and nothing else, that wouldn't work. But the fact that he has the freedom to say uh, Ed Orgeron was a terrible hire at LSU, would anybody say on the air, that such and such was a terrible hire. Danny Hope was a terrible hire at Purdue. With the Big Ten Network, any of their analysts no, say no, that? No, no, because
1: because every summer on the tour they said um, Purdue looks better. Purdue looks better. We're not going to say how good they are. And I think but they look and better. And I think
0: that's you know one of my one of my things that I get older, John, is I I, I have less tolerance for victimology. And I didn't have a lot to begin with. So as much as I'm annoyed by it, as a guy who grew up Big Ten, I grew up in the Big Ten country. I, I'm I'm annoyed by it as well. But here's the thing: they do demand and stress a level of excellence, and maybe they, and I'm pretty sure they go places we're not willing to go up here to make it make it so. Right? What's the old line I used to use all the time? You can't spill cash without SEC. Okay. SEC teams aren't off probation. They're just in between probations, right? I've said these things for many years. But that is a sign of their willingness to do what must be done to win. And I think what we're going to have to decide up here in Big Ten country is, is it about banners or is it about eyeballs? Because we've got a lot more eyeballs. Even with the matriculation down south, we still have a lot more eyeballs up here than they have down there. But they have a lot more banners. And so I think, you know, some of the additions we've made on our football roster, Scott Frost will bring that ruthlessness. uh, Harbaugh, Franklin, of course, Urban Meyer is ruthlessness incarnate. Okay, so I think that's helped improve Big Ten football a lot. Might have the best roster of coaches in the sport right now from a conference standpoint. But. Feinbaum isn't great or influential just because he shields for the SEC, but he's a gatekeeper. You get in the way, you underperform, you you bring down the SEC brand, he will crush you, crush you, crush you. And I think that's where I don't know that up here in Big Ten country we would tolerate that. I I think we want to have our bellies rubbed. Uh, Or at least that's what they want you to do on the Big Ten Network. I I don't know that they would tolerate, you know, like, you know, listen, I'm a huge Michigan fan. Do you know what I would be saying if I were on Big Ten Network? Because I'm a Michigan fan, because I'm emotionally invested, financially invested, and because I've loved Jim Harbaugh all of my life, what happened on New Year's Day? Hell no hell to the no, and it'd be a 10-minute tirade on Big Ten Network about why the hell we spend $9 million for us to show our ass like that to the United States of America in front of a South Carolina team. We were the biggest favorite of any Big Ten team in bowl games, and we went from plus three in turnovers to minus two in a quarter and a half. That's, that ins- that's
1: insane. Has that ever that happened? That
0: is insane. It, now, if, this was SEC, if, that, if an SEC school had done that to their... Now, I'm just telling you right now, let's reverse it. It's the Feinbaum show. SEC's undefeated in bowl games. And their last team on New Year's Day shows their ass in a, in a quarter and a half the way Michigan did. I'm telling you right now, Feinbaum would have everybody fired the next Monday. The next Monday on the show. We can't embarrass our league like that. I don't know for all of it. And maybe, you know, you work there. Maybe you know more than I do. I just observing from the 10,000 foot view. I don't know that the big 10 has the stomach. For that level of advocacy. No, no,
1: no, they don't. And yes, I did work there. Um, you know, did a studio show for two months and then did some sideline work for over a couple of seasons. And most everyone I met there, incredibly nice people, great people. Um, it was one of, it, it, professionally speaking, it was the peak of my whatever you want to call this career, whatever. It was fun. It was great. It was rewarding. I mean, Dave Revson, they don't come any better. Um, I mean, he's just a great human being, great guy, great dude, really nice guy. Uh, Howard Griffith is also a very nice guy. Uh, Jerry DiNardo, he's got, he's, of anybody there, he has the most edge. Jerry's, Jerry can be a little arrogant and cocky. But then again, he was a head football coach, and those guys typically have a little gravitas to him. And I don't begrudge that. I like that. I wish Jerry would maybe be unleashed a little bit more because he's been, as much as anybody, come closest to, to offering up the most criticism. I mean, you and I have talked about this for years as we've watched these Big Ten Network bus tour episodes mm-hmm. um, that have actually become less and there's been there there's become less and less video they have less and less content in them actually they're really worthless anymore in my opinion other than the fact it's the first football we get to see in 3 and 4 months so you watch it because it's on um these things are there's nothing hard hitting about these things at all and i think if they ever approached that they would stop now jim delaney is going to be on the way out at some point in time. I mean, I don't know. I don't, is it two years? Is it three years? Is it one year? I, I don't remember what it was. I know they talked about it. But no, the Big Ten network is not going to go there as it's constituted right now. It's more collegial. It's more collegial. It's why the Big Ten is more kindred spirit with the Pac-12. But here's the bigger reason why that is. is You talked about they're hanging up more banners in the SEC than getting eyeballs and more banners in the Big Ten, and it's true. But go to some of these, go to some of these SEC websites, like the official website of Alabama, uh, the official website of Georgia, and go count up how many sports they offer. Mm -mm. Go count up how many different opportunities they provide student athletes to earn scholarships and compete for their schools. You'll find 10, 11, 12, Go to that in a Big Ten school. Go to Ohio State. Go to Michigan. Go to Penn State. Go to Iowa. You'll find 18, 19, 20 plus. That means more money gets allocated to sports like field hockey, hockey, lacrosse, men's and women's soccer, etc., cetera, et cetera, wrestling, things of that nature, tennis, gymnastics, You won't find that wide of array for men's and women's sports in SEC campuses. You also find that wide array with the Pac 12. More money then is allowed to be spent on king football in the SEC for better or for worse. It's just the way that it is. Um, for a number of years, who they oversigned to embarrassing levels to the point where, you know, at a national level, they had to step in and do something about it because it's all about winning football games. The Big Ten has never been that way and it never will. It is follows much more closely the collegial model, the way that it does with the Pac 12. And frankly, Steve, I would be perfectly fine if the Big Ten at some point in time, if they just felt like it was not, not, if, if the way things were heading was so regionalized, as you mentioned, and just getting out of control in their opinions. Just call up the Pac-12. Work out a deal that says, you know what? Let's have our champions play one another every year in the Rose Bowl. Let's have a Final Four between our conferences. Let's let's do the out-of-conference scheduling to where we play each other. And because we're like one another, we have similar values as it relates to the .edu world, where the SEC just doesn't. I think we could see it get to that point. And frankly, right now, I wouldn't mind it because before revenue sharing really kicked in in Major League Baseball, the old, you know, the Yankees just tilted everything to their side of the table. And, you know, I'm a lifelong Kansas City Royals fan. And the Yankees can't play the Yankees 162 times a year. They have to play other people, and they have to be in a league with other people. So, reluctantly, they have to give up some of their money. For other people. Now, this isn't necessarily a money thing because the Big Ten makes more money than anybody. The SEC is very close as well. But, the Big Ten schools generate more money than SEC schools. But SEC schools spend more money on football for the reasons I just mentioned. Kevin the Flag Guy from Heartland Flags here. For me, it's the Cincinnati Reds and Cincinnati Bengals. Nope. Can't explain it. What about you? Packers and Wizards? Pelicans and Sharks?
0: NASCAR and the Jags? Bulls, Bucks, and Chargers? Whatever flag you want, we've got it. Jump online to heartlandflags.com and shop our huge inventory of sports
1: teams' flags. You won't find a better selection or better prices anywhere, guaranteed. And to
0: top it off, free shipping on all purchases at heartlandflags.com, where you'll never pay for shipping. I think revenue is not an issue for the Big Ten. No. I, I think when you look, it used to be, but I think since the advent of the network, When you look at the facility upgrades going in places like Minnesota and Purdue, I I don't think that's the issue. I think I think
1: those are those uh, are those are student athlete centers that don't just benefit football. But you're right, Iowa has a has one of the best facilities in, in in the country. So yes, football is still getting money, but it's not like I mean the Alabama coaching staff. Steve, you know this better than I do. I mean, mm-hmm. they've got guys that have earned two plus million dollars a year that are almost like coffee fetchers. You know, analytics departments, all these things. Right. That they, they have assistance to assistance to assistance there. They spend so much money on football, more so than any other conference does or even will.
0: It's also helped grow the enrollment overall of the university. Um, whatever Nick Saban's getting paid, it's like 10%. Of what his actual contribution is to the university every year, because of all the ancillary benefits of their dominance of football. But I think that I think we've closed the gap on a lot of that stuff. I I think the final step is, um, we I think we're even beginning to take the final step. I think the the beginning of the final step was Urban Meyer coming into the league. And Urban Meyer bringing recruiting to the whistle, and a lot of those, uh, you know, frankly SEC-like tactics he picked up when he was at Florida, and he 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 turned them in uh, to a national power that, you know, was even better uh, than they were when Spurrier was there. I mean, he won two national titles there. Spurrier only won one. And even though that rankled a lot of feathers, I can remember Brett Bielema being upset about Urban Meyer recruiting guys Mm -hmm. after they were already verbally committed. But then, you know, the next big-name coach that was brought in from an SEC, from SEC t- uh, territory was James Franklin at Vanderbilt. You know, then Harbaugh comes in at Michigan, and, you know, Michigan decides they're going to actually start spending money on charter planes and all the other stuff they've, they've always had the money to do but felt they were kind of beneath – that was kind of beneath them. Now they're letting Jim Harbaugh do the things they've never let any other football coach do with more of those kind of merciless tactics – You know Nebraska, with how desperate they are to win, and with their all-time one of their all-time favorite sons now as their head coach, they're going to let Scott Frost do anything he wants, short of compromise the academic mission of the university. And and that would really, to me, that's my that that's where I would draw the line. As long as we're not bringing in kids that are a danger to the student body, and we are not compromising the uh, the academic mission of the university, then do whatever the hell it takes to win. Other than that. Because the, 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 the financial benefit and the overall academic benefit to the university that this exposure provides, is, it, it's incalculable. I mean, you'll, you'll definitely get your ROI back on this. I, I just think that some of what angers us about the SEC are things that we could do, too. But yes. we decided not to. You're right. That's, and Feinbaum that's right. is part of it. And Feinbaum is part of it. They're, you know what? The Big Ten Network, and I'm, I say this as a Michigan fan, the Big Ten Network ought to be all over Harbaugh and Michigan's ass for that performance and how bad it made the entire league look to blow that and how our league, when you when you aren't any good, it drags our entire league down. We can't have that. We can't, we, we can't have, arguably, the biggest brand in our conference, and if they're not the biggest, they're the second biggest. And their $9 million coach is a freaking online meme for the next nine months on ESPN. We can't afford that. They do that stuff on the SEC network. When Miles Garrett, who goes on to be the number one pick in the NFL draft, when he gets caught loafing, when he knows he's going pro and, and Texas A&M is on its way to another winless November under Kevin Sumlin, Man, Berger McFarland's on the SEC Network playing, showing film of Miles Garrett loafing it, loafing it, and calling him out, calling him out while showing him the film. That would never happen on the Big Ten Network, not in a million years. And I think that goes to our culture up here is softer than theirs it when it comes to winning at this level. And. You know, I don't think we should cheat the way they do, and I don't think we should, you know, completely decide that the, that the academic mission of our universities is a secondary, as too many of them have done over the years. But that we that we don't have to do either. We we don't have we are softer than they are down there, and that's and we know it, and that's one of the reasons why we're bitter and resentful. Hell, watch a Big Ten in an SEC game, and look at the difference in the way targeting and personal fouls are often called. You know we don't sit here. It's very rare that you will have a debate in an SEC game about I don't know what targeting is anymore. We have that debate in the Big Ten every week. You know why? Because if someone wasn't beheaded, it's not targeting, guys in the SEC. Okay. Up here, I mean, hell, I mean, well, you know, I mean, I mean, I don't know. Targeting on on the cheerleaders. It's a different – culturally, they're different down there, too, and I think we know that subconsciously. And that's one of the reasons why it pisses us off so much. And that is the stuff we could control. We, we can't control the changing demographics. We, we can't control that Mal Moore literally went to Nick Saban 10 years ago and said, tell me what dollar amount it would take to buy you the greatest college football program of all time, and we'll make it happen. We can't control that. What we can control, though, is the internal mechanisms of expectations we have in our neck of the woods isn't the same as theirs. And so if you're not going to cut some of the corners they do, and if you're not going to have some of the demographic advantages that they do, then you need to make up for it in other areas. One of those other areas, we are making up for it, and we're hiring better coaches than they are. The other area is the internal uh, mechanism of expectations needs to be higher. And I really think the network can, can help to set the tone with that. Uh, but it, so far, but it it has not been allowed to.
1: Yeah, it, it won't. And you know what? I'm not saying we're going to change the world with this podcast, but I would say this. If you are a Big Ten fan of a school and you know fans of other schools, send them a link to this podcast. Let them know it exists because in our little corner of the world, uh, lines being drawn. And we'll do... We'll we'll control what we can control here. Um, Any more you want to flesh out on that, or should we uh, go on to some predictions, Steve, for the upcoming basketball season?
0: Let's go to predictions, because I think this topic we just discussed, we're probably going to be able to discuss it in various (laughs) facets and forms in the
1: next seven or eight months. No doubt, no doubt. All right, uh, you you put forth some predictions for each Big Ten basketball team uh, a couple of times, and it was a very active week in the Big Ten, off the court. Um, you know, some some tangible on-the-court injuries and things of that nature, but also some off-the-court aspects with what transpired at Minnesota and some suspensions on the heels of injuries, injuries with Maryland, injuries here and there. So these are going to be your uh, on-the-record predictions um, for this basketball season. Number one, you have Michigan State at 17-1, and and twenty nine and two and I don't know if that one loss you saw them have coming was to Ohio State that took place on Sunday, but they now have one loss.
0: It was not, and I thought it was a jarring loss. I I, I was I was shocked at what I saw. I mean shocked. Now, it turns out that Ohio State is better than anybody thought.
1: No doubt about it.
0: And so give them, give them, you know, and, and the first-year coach there, and, you know, Bates Jopp is a, is a tremendous player, one of the best players in this league, maybe right now favorite for Big Ten Player of the Year. I, 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 let's not take anything away from them at all, okay? But when you have a team that talented, and Ohio State hit them in the mouth at about the 10-minute mark of the first half, and a Tom Izzo coach team never got back up off the floor after mm-hmm. that. That's uh hello. And if this were this were, you know, February February 9th instead of January 9th. And we were halfway through the Big 10 season and you're doing three game you're you're, you're it's your week to do that crazy schedule Delaney gave us so we can play in 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 uh, in man in, in Manhattan at uh, Madison Square Garden, so every team's got one of these. What is it? Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday stretches or something this mm-hmm. year or something like that. Okay. And Michigan State and two of those were on the road and they lose their focus and they've been number one for four or five weeks in a row. Fine. But this is early on in the Big Ten. This is a chance for you to make a statement. Ohio State's best ball distributor. Is Dockich's kid, who was a walk on grad transfer from Michigan? Other than Bates job, I don't think there's a single player on Ohio State's team that makes an eight man rotation on the Michigan State roster. And for them to just get annihilated like that, and the only time they made any run, they made a 10 0 run after the under eight timeout in the second half, but when they were already down by like 20 and the game was out of reach. I don't know what that was. Um, Now, I don't want to – I'd like to be a lot of people on planet Earth other than the Rutgers basketball team this week when I play Michigan State because, oh, my gosh, someone has to pay for that, and they're going to pay dearly for what happened to Sparty on Sunday. But Mm -hmm. you don't typically see that from a Tom Izzo team. You just don't. Now, he's rarely had teams this deep and talented, and sometimes when you're a demanding coach like he is – and you're not used to having this many guys with this many egos, particularly this is still a very young team, mostly freshmen and sophomores. Um, and he's done his best work typically with under, with over, with the upperclassmen who are, you know, used to his style of coaching. Maybe this will be different for him, but to me, this is either a wake up call or an OO because this was a chance for them to make an early statement. Show Ohio State's a pretender. They're not in that class, and instead they got depanted on national television, and they never they never got back up off the floor after that initial punch. I don't know, man. We don't typically see that out of Michigan State teams, John.
1: No, and and prior to that loss, Michigan State's only loss was the second game of the year against Duke. Um, they had just beaten Maryland by 30 points. They'd beaten Nebraska in their Big Ten opener by 29. I mean, they were flat. I mean, uh, 107 62, 102 60, 111 61, 108 52. Those are some of the games that they've had in the non conference against some scrub. I mean, they beat Notre Dame 81 63. They beat North Carolina. Very good team. Maybe it was, maybe it's the kind of thing when you have that many talented players and you're winning so handily. You need a reality check, and, and maybe it will serve them well.
0: But yeah, that was, it might. It might. That
1: was definitely shocking. Chris Holtman at Ohio State, um, just fantastic, fantastic for them. That's exactly the kind of win that you need as you're as you're looking to put your name on a brand. So great win for them, and the Big Ten. The best team, the best brand, gets bloodied, and, and they had a chance to uh, had a chance to be number one with the bullet. Now, a lot of teams lost this week in the top ten. Number of them, what five did?
0: There, yeah, there. Were, I think there were twelve losses combined among top ten teams this week.
1: So that, so there's a lot of teams that maybe got a reality check, but, uh, not 80 to 64. That is very surprising. Number two in your predictions, Purdue, you have them going 13 and 5, uh, in the Big Ten and 24 and 7 overall. I actually think they might outperform 13 and 5.
0: I Uh, could see that. Gritty team
1: riding an 11 win streak, 11 game winning streak right now. I I think 14 and 4, 15 and 3.
0: I think that's possible. I don't disagree with you. Um, I I think they are a team reminiscent of a lot of Gene Cady's teams. I think they are built for regular season six right. success. I, I don't I don't see them as a as a huge tournament threat. But over the course, with their toughness and experience, their size, over the course, they are they are tailor made for an 18 game Big Ten schedule.
1: Yeah, I think I think you're right about that. That's a great point. I mean, Purdue. Uh, one of their, you know, they've been to four, what, two Final Fours in school history, but they've had talented teams that should have gone to Final Fours, and they've not gotten it done in the tournament.
0: But it's possible Gene Katie's the greatest coach that ever went to a Final Four.
1: It is possible indeed. Michigan, you have it number three, at 12 and 6, 23 and 8. And my initial reaction is to wince at that and be skeptical of it. But when you're going to do that, then you need to have someone else that you think is Mm -hmm. deserving of that. And I don't know that there is. Almost by default, I can't argue with you because the Big Ten that I thought was actually going to be fairly loaded this year just isn't. It's very boring.
0: You know, you look at Michigan's team with UCLA and Texas, I think those are two top 55 RPI non-conference wins. I'm not sure anybody other than Purdue in the Big Ten has that. Um, what I think it's the deepest team John Beeline's had. It's the best defensive team. I mean, the best defensive team he's had was 37th in Ken Palm's defensive efficiency ratings. That was the 2013 team that went to the national championship game. This team's in the top 25 or 26. It's his best rebounding team. It's different than his other teams. Uh, the primary scoring vehicle isn't the point guard. It's Charles Matthews and Mo Bogner. But they go a legit 11 deep. And they're another team that, without the, the dominant point guard, the Derek Walton, the Darius Morris, the Trey Burke, I wonder about them come tournament time. But in an 18-game Big Ten schedule, and the teams we're going to talk about coming up here next, losing guys at the rate they're losing them, the depth that Michigan has... I, I, here's what I think. Michigan State's overall the best team. Purdue can put maybe the best five on the floor. I think one through ten, Michigan might have the best uh, best ten roster. I just don't think they can put five guys on the floor right. as good as Purdue or Michigan State can. But in but in a league where there's a lot of wins out there, a lot of teams like Iowa that have glaring deficiencies or Maryland that have huge injuries, when you're that when you're as deep as Michigan is, you can beat a lot of those teams. Oh, you know, and, and on Wednesday nights in February, that's a that that's a that's a setup kind of tailor made for you as well.
1: Right, and your your team that you had in fourth, um, finishing fourth is Ohio State, and you had these before the win by Ohio State against Michigan Michigan State. You had Ohio State eleven and seven, twenty and eleven. I think I, I might swap those two or or say Ohio State can be 12 and 6, 13 and 5 because they're 4 and 0 right now. For them to be yeah. for them to finish And 11, they've already
0: beaten Michigan. They've already beaten Michigan at home. So right. there you go.
1: Yeah, and and Michigan State. So for them to go 11 and 7, that means that they go 7 and 7 the rest of the way and I think they'll do better than that. But we've already talked about them. Number 5 and I can't recall if you sent this to me before the bombshells from this week. Minnesota, 10 and 8, 21 and 10. This week, Reggie Lynch, uh, the best shot blocker in college basketball. And before the sea well, I guess I shouldn't say that, he was on pace to have one of the probably top three uh, individual shot-blocking seasons in Big Ten history this year after getting, I think, 114 last year, which is one of the top ten individual shot-blocking seasons in Big Ten history, suspended indefinitely. For an alleged, um, violation of the schools, what, uh, sexual misconduct policy, if you will. Mm-hmm. He's appealing that ruling. Amir Coffey, I think their second or third leading score, big bruising rebounder, um, he's gonna be out for a long period of time due to a shoulder injury, uh, that he suffered prior to their facing Indiana on Saturday at home, which they lost. Uh, Indiana also without some players. So Minnesota, you have finishing, uh, 10 and 8, 21 and 10. And right now they're 2 and 2. I think they might be a little south of that. And we're almost to the point, Steve, where it's like, well, somebody has to finish here.
0: I know. But I, 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 I originally did these New Year's Eve. And then I, I changed them at the beginning of last week at, with the Reggie Lynch news, the McIntosh news, although they're saying day to day on his knee. Um and then I sent them to you, and then I got the news of the of coffee 's injury, and I just threw up my hands i said I, I have you know what someone has to go ten and eight man, someone has to do it, okay so uh, not everybody in the league can go 7 and 11, 6 and 12. We might Somebody's yeah, gonna,
1: we might actually it, see that. It
0: might, maybe it will may, maybe what happens is is the top 4 teams all go 14 and 4 or better uh-huh. and after that everybody's just terrible. Maybe that's where we're yeah, heading. I don't know. It,
1: it may be that next you had Northwestern at 9 and 9. And eighteen and thirteen, and you just mentioned uh, the the injury to Bryant McIntosh that was originally concerned that could could have been an ACL. But uh, and Vic Law has also been dealing with injuries this year. And this is a team that made their first ever NCAA tournament last year, won a game, uh, nearly won two, and they were a very sexy pick to you know make it back to the tournament this year. Now
0: they're in the preseason AP top twenty five.
1: Yep, and they're ten and seven right now. They will not likely make it back to the tournament
0: no and even before McIntosh no carried off with that knee they weren't right anyway they, they clearly are struggling being in a position as a program they've really never been before and and that was indicative of their record even before McIntosh got injured
1: you're right and it, it's you know we'll get to Iowa in a minute I couldn't have been more wrong about them this year. I remember in the out of conference seeing, you know, so many, the preseason rather, not out of conference, so many national riders picking them eighth, ninth, tenth. I'm like, what am I missing? What am I missing? Right. Well, I was clearly missing. And I've been wrong about so many Big Ten teams this year, more so than I think I ever have. Northwestern being one of them, Maryland. Uh, you have them eight and ten. Nineteen and twelve. They too are a team that's struggling uh, with some. They're down two starters. Yeah, Justin Jackson's out for the season. Their best overall
0: player. Yeah. And And then the guy they were kind of counting on taking his spot. mm -hmm. He's done for the year. You know. So uh, there's been. I mean, I I can't recall the last time a team had as bad a a bad a single week in in, uh, in Big Ten basketball as Minnesota just had with. Reggie Lynch maybe being a serial um you know sexual assaulter and coffee's injury and then you lose it home to an already beat up Indiana team that's rebuilding that is a tough week but Indiana's down uh, down key guys. Uh, Maryland's down two starters. Minnesota now down two starters. Northwestern's essentially their entire program is playing on one leg. Uh, it, th- that's a lot of attrition man. That's a lot.
1: Uh, Dimitric uh, Trice for Wisconsin, right? Yeah. And then, well, Wisconsin um, came. started two
0: walk-ons against, yeah. against Indiana the other night. And by the way, that stat: Indiana has not won in Madison since 1990.
1: Bob Knight was there. Bob Knight
0: That's was nuts. there. Yes. That I, that I, that stat blew me away when I saw that. Holy. Nikes, I could not believe that.
1: Yeah, and you have Penn State eight and ten and uh, eighteen and thirteen. They're two and two. They might actually be a little bit better than that before it's all is said and done. Um, Indiana seven and eleven, Wisconsin seven and eleven, Illinois six and twelve, Iowa six and twelve. For Iowa to go six and twelve right now with they start zero and five, that means they have to go six and seven the rest of the way, I believe. And that boy. That may be a stretch. Nebraska also six and twelve, and then you have Rutgers at four and fourteen, and they might actually be a little bit better than that. Something has to give this week though, this coming week as Iowa and Illinois play one another. One of those teams will pick up their first win in big ten play and the other... I'll tell you what
0: Illinois is better. they're They're still kind of the same old Illinois uh, where there's too much hero ball on the offensive side of the floor, okay? But they're no longer the Illinois that we used to say every year that their best team was in street clothes and we're looking forward to next year, right? That was like five years in a row for Illinois. Right. Their best team was in street clothes. They're going to be really good next year. They they still play way too much hero ball on the offensive side of the floor, but defensively, you know, I got a good look at them against Michigan on Saturday. They play, you know, the new coach there, he plays a very a system very similar to Roy Williams at North Carolina, overplaying passing lanes, in your shorts, man-to-man. Um... And you better have dribble-drive penetrators against that defense. What does Iowa not have?
1: Dribble-drive penetrators.
0: Oh, gosh. That's, that's – yikes. That's not a good matchup for Iowa, brother.
1: Nah, Brad Underwood, uh, he is well, – we'll see how it goes. But, you know, Illinois has been Ill- – So
0: who's there. getting fired?
1: Hmm. Interesting.
0: Miles in Nebraska. I think we agree on him. Probably right.
1: Yeah, I think so. I think he'll be gone. Back to back
0: seasons with no NCAA tournaments. Is Fran, Fran can't be in trouble after three straight NCAA tournaments, listen, does he?
1: I don't think so. And I would say this. Let's just do this off the cuff. I'm gonna I'm gonna let you rank them. Rank okay. to me the Big Ten basket the most desirable and covetous Big Ten basketball jobs in. Some kind of order. You don't have to go necessarily in order. You can go tiers. But I'd say we'd both say Michigan State. um, is Indiana, historically, is right there. So Michigan State and Indiana. I think Maryland is also a very, very good job. Uh, It's definitely near the top of the tier. Ohio State, just by sheer volume of talent they have in that state, uh, is a good job. Michigan. um, So we're at four or five right now. Um, I think
0: those are your best jobs in the league, and then you're going to argue with yourself. Purdue. Where you would rank them in, in those positions. Yes. Yeah, so I right. put Purdue in the next tier after that.
1: Okay, so the first tier we had Michigan, Mich- Michigan State, Ohio State, and Maryland and Indiana. So we had five, okay? That's the first yep. tier. Five. Yep. Next tier. Purdue is in that tier for sure. Wisconsin yep. is in that tier, I think, given what they've done over the last 15 years. If we're going to go back. The last fifty years, no. But you have a coal center that is pretty much banged out for every home game. We just talked about that ridiculous stat against Indiana. It's a it's it's just a very very good home court advantage. I think they Here's
0: could... the thing about Wisconsin, though. To me, they're in that tier now. They're one bad coaching hire from not being in that tier.
1: Well, if they play, yeah, if they play a different system because they they've recruited. As, uh, it's just you're right. So Purdue is six for sure. All okay. right? Um After that, so we, we, here's some other names that we have. Minnesota, Northwestern, Penn State. I put
0: Illinois after Purdue. Il-
1: Illinois, you're right. So now we're at seven. We haven't mentioned Iowa yet. Yeah. So maybe this is where you slot Iowa in. All right. Um, Iowa is the eighth or ninth most coveted job, if we're, probably can't use the term coveted since we're talking eighth or ninth in a 14 team league. Do you disagree? Eighth or ninth?
0: Well, we've got, we've got Purdue sixth, Illinois seventh, Wisconsin ahead of Iowa. Yeah, yeah I think. Okay. So, best case scenario is Iowa's ninth.
1: Yeah, yeah, eighth or ninth if you wanted to. So, do you fire Fran McCaffrey? Would and there's going
0: to be people listening right now that think we ought to have Illinois in the first tier with those other jobs.
1: For sure, and you know what? We did this off the cuff, and I probably actually would be one of those people. Yeah,
0: and, and, and they've just underperformed we for so we would long. Agree with them. Yeah, I mean
1: yeah. the John Gross era was was just nasty. You know they, yeah. they so there's no question the talent that they that they can get every year to stay home they should be in that first tier. But yeah. anyway, they're better than Iowa. So you're gonna fire a Fran McCaffrey when you got the eighth or ninth best program? You know?
0: Well, that's a good that's a good point. So you you put Illinois in there. And then you're really saying that there's six nationally top 25 jobs in the Big Ten. Yes. Is really what we're saying. Yes. Yes. Okay.
1: So you, I don't think you
0: fire Fran McCaffrey. No. Um, you know. you can't survive a third straight year without an NCAA tournament. Uh, frankly, I don't think. No, not anybody, a third straight year when it's year nine. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't know that unless you're taking over an extreme rebuilding situation or it's Northwestern that has one NCAA tournament bid in, in its history. I don't think, other than that, no coach in the Big Ten, no coach, should survive three years in a row not making a field of 68,
1: period. Agree. Uh, I, I would agree with you. And the talent that they have, I mean, anyway, it's just a mismatched lineup right now. Ohio State just made a hire last year. Indiana just made a hire last year. Um, you know, Patino's not going to get canned at Minnesota unless they're. The, the only way I could see him getting canned is if there was some type of interference.
0: Um, I could see the moving on.
1: For sure, yeah. But you asked yeah. who's getting fired. Um, Maryland, they're not going to fire the coach. Colin? No. The, so the, I don't think any coach is getting fired in the Big Ten like, other than uh, Miles in Nebraska.
0: Miles in Nebraska?
1: That's it. NCAA tournament locks, you have four. Michigan State, Purdue, Michigan, and Ohio State. Boy. Locks? May, maybe, you know, Purdue and Ohio State only by... You know, deductive reasoning because the rest of the league isn't very good, uh, and you have Minnesota on the bubble. I, I I don't see anybody else playing to that. Wisconsin uh, is in danger of not ha- of having their first sub top four Big Ten finish since before um, Bo Ryan got there.
0: How do you go from that senior class, one of the great senior classes in the history of Big Ten basketball? To starting two walk-ons in a season. How does that happen? Do you know? Remember, How do you, what, do you
1: do that? What did I say last March? I said the Greg guard era starts now. And this isn't a good start. Not a good start. So, yeah. Not a very fun topic.
0: And, you know, this 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 goes right back to the conversation we started with. What league is rolling right now? Yeah. The SEC is. Yeah, they're having an unprecedented year, and without this being um, a great John Calipari Kentucky team, you know they had South Carolina and Florida played for the a role of birth in the Final Four last year. T- the two cha- uh, finalists in the women's championship game were SEC schools. You've got, you know, Ben Howland is doing a good job. and they've We've talked about the Big Ten improving, the Big Ten closing the gap with the SEC because of its football hires. The SEC's done this in basketball. Getting Ben Howland at Mississippi State, a guy who was almost in the Final Four every year at UCLA, uh, you know, getting um, Rick Barnes, the former Texas coach, who took them to a Final Four, getting him to Tennessee, they have greatly improved their basketball coaching. Bruce Pearl, a guy you and I know well. Uh, who obviously uh, uh, is 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 as likable as he is shady, but you know he's going to have Auburn in the top twenty-five this week. That's a very deep conference, and they've done it by uh, improving the coaching, like Big Ten, yeah. Big Ten football.
1: It's it's a deep conference, but just looking at last week's AP poll, which will obviously be different uh, this week, there the the highest-ranked SEC team, Texas A&M, at eleven.
0: And they're on a three game losing streak, by the way.
1: Right. So I'm just saying that they they, the league may be better, but they certainly are not top heavy. They're strong in the middle, for sure. And we'll see what happens Mm -hmm. when we get to March. All right, I think that'll be enough to wrap up this first installment of the Bigger Ten podcast. Thank you for listening. Please tell all your big ten fan friends about this podcast and follow us on Twitter at Bigger 10, that is T-E-N, at Bigger 10. We'll talk to you soon.